is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Jenny and I have switched it up a little bit today, and our friend Jeff will be joining us on the podcast. He has invited us to a studio, so it's been nice to get back to doing things in person. He is the host of his own podcast called Leading and Being, and we got into a little bit about vulnerability and how you can become the best version of yourself and how tapping into your own intuition can help you connect more with others and help them become their greatest version. Enjoy. All right, well, here we are back in a studio setting and uh, having an interview in person. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Since uh, COVID happened, we've been doing it all remotely, which is great, but it's just not the same. So Jeff, it's great to have you on. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. So yeah, neat day for us today with, on Have a Little Insight. We are at the studios at Staples on Bank Street. Mm -hmm. So Jeff told us about this place. Super neat to be here. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's get the party started. Jeff, welcome to Have a Little Insight. So excited to be here. Love your show. Love your show. I, I love that I'm now going to be uh, on it as I scroll through your episodes that you've done. And yeah, I listened to a bunch this morning and you guys uh, have some great conversations on there. So keep up the good work. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me here. Mm, thanks for being here. And uh, now you get to be one of the great conversations. So yeah, nice. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots to talk about. That's for sure. So it awesome. might be more you reeling me in. We'll see. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's see what we can do. So I'm curious, Jeff, what was your inspiration behind starting your podcast? And why did you choose a podcast? Yeah, so first and foremost, I've always felt like someone who is very performative almost like I felt like I love loved a stage loved a microphone and that piece was sort of missing for me in my life at the time so it's like starting a podcast is somewhat easy as long as you feel comfortable doing it like as long, as long as you feel comfortable um like getting over that imposter syndrome and just saying screw it and doing it um so the intention was really like I think my, my tagline is, you know, passionate people having real, real conversations. And the goal was always to have people on the show that were really passionate about whatever it is that they were doing. I really couldn't care less what it is, to be honest. Like, as long as you really cared about making a difference, uh, you were trying to grow as a person while also sort of giving back to the community. And that's sort of really my only non-negotiable with people that come on the show. Part of why I had you you guys on the show was just that, was your people who were trying to get a message across. Um, so yeah, my intention was really to just um, get an inside look at these at these people who we who we look up to. And, you know, for example, for you guys, you have a podcast. Some people would say like, oh, like, you know, I wonder how they got there. Like, you know, I really wish I had my own. And it's like, let's humanize you. Let's, let's give people an inside look at like what your lives actually look like to make them realize that, you know, you can kind of do whatever you set your mind to sort of thing. That was a big part of my my goal going into it. Yeah, it's almost a, like a look behind the curtain, right? It's like, yeah. how did this person get to the position they're in now? Like, what did they have to go yeah. through? Or what do they deal with on a daily basis? And that, those are the kind of things that we don't see, you know, like on their social media accounts. But th those are really important. And like you said, it humanizes them. You're like, oh, they do that too? You know, it's like cele yeah. celebrities use bathrooms. I hope everyone knows that, right? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> they don't just like never have to go to the bathroom. It's not like a secret celebrity like ability. They get they get they get injections yeah. when they first sign a contract, and 
Or they're just so rich and yeah. they're other... They, they can pay someone to go to the bathroom for them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I think this is the biggest insight I've ever yeah. had, Ryan. I'm just like mind blown. Yeah. Um, anyway. But yeah, what came to mind when you said that about humanizing is, you know, Brene Brown says the most powerful two words in the English language are uh, me too. So that's changed a bit with like the me too movement that's happening. And this was sort of before them. But the idea is is humanizing it and saying, you know, everyone actually does go through a lot of the same things, maybe to, you know, different degrees. But when you hear someone else share a bit of their own story, you often see a lot of yourself in it. Or a lot of the times, like we're looking for permission sometimes to feel something, to do something. Um, and you'll have someone else talk about it. It's like, oh, I'm not the only one. And it's like, that is healing in itself. Yeah. The, the idea that it's okay to not feel okay, or like to not be super happy and bright all the time, right? Totally. You can't be like on that 100% of the time. And if you are pretending to be, then the, eventually the, the train wreck is going to happen. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So when you talk about stories, like you said, that you see a little bit of yourself in or like have helped you tap into yourself, what's one of the stories that has been more of the guiding light along your personal yeah, journey? I love that. It's such a good question. Um, it's funny. I've already mentioned Brene Brown once, but so much of the foundation of my work is, is just that. And she talks a lot about how she has done a lot of research into vulnerability and how vulnerability is, um, is, is the piece and is what leads you to joy, connection, belonging, all of that. Like you don't, you don't, you don't get to experience all the good things about the human experience without sort of diving into vulnerability. And that's something that I sort of felt but couldn't articulate very well at the time. Um, so her story of sort of like, yeah, this is what I fell upon and I hate that this is true because it's so hard. And I was like, yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more. I feel that so much. But what was huge for me in that was uh, when I was 19, I was really thinking about coming out, didn't know if I should do it not or like do it or not and just really grappling like, you know, it's going to be so uncomfortable. And like, do I do it? And what's wild as I look back, it was like, oh, do I just not do it and just keep living my life the way it is sort of thing. But then I watched Brene Brown's TED talk and it was called the power of vulnerability. And it was like, if you want to feel the fullness of the human experience, you're going to have to do this vulnerable thing. We're like shutting my laptop, like, well, all right. And it's, you know, sharing a bit of my truth to my friends at the time. And of course, best decision. I mean, it's almost silly to say best decision I ever made, but really truly like changed my life. And that narrative of, of like embracing vulnerability and Brene's story and seeing a lot of myself in that and wanting that for myself definitely continues to guide a lot of my work in the world too. So I've heard before a lot of people say that it's a common saying that vulnerability is strength. What do you think about that? <laughs> um, yeah, like when I, so I'm also a, a counselor in training. I'm doing my master's for counseling and psychotherapy right now. And whenever we talk about vulnerability, which comes up a lot, it's people feel like if they show any sort of vulnerable part of themselves, especially men, uh, I'm going to be perceived as weak. So what's interesting is folks like us see vulnerability as a strength because we've done some of our own work in terms of like introspection work and working on ourselves. And we've come to that conclusion, but yeah, most of the world, I would say, sees vulnerability as something we do not touch and we, we you know, totally avoid at all costs. Um, 
So what do I what do I think about it being a strength? Absolutely, vulnerability. Yeah, that's the truth. That that's the way forward. There's no way you're going to grow as a person without embracing that concept. Um, but it's hard. I think that's the part people forget. Is like, yeah, it's true. But just because it's true doesn't mean it's now going to be easy. Like it's such a difficult thing to to embrace. Well, talk, talking about counseling, you said that you've started to see some clients now. So I'm yeah. curious what it's been like uh, starting to get into that, where you're you're actually doing one-on-one with people. And also in a time with the pandemic and with COVID still going on, like in terms of mental illness, is there co- like commonalities that you notice between mm-hmm. people? Because I think this goes back to the Me Too thing too that you mentioned, that like you feel completely alone that you're experiencing all this fear and anxiety, but other people are experiencing it too. Yeah, great connection, totally. Um, The biggest issue people are having is uh, they're saying, I can't get productive. I have no motivation. And therefore, um, you know, I'm a failure, I'm a waste of time or whatever it is. Some people don't take it um, as intensely in terms of like, them not getting anything done means they're a failure. Like some people are really struggling and do have that jump right away, but other people just feel like, what's wrong with me? You know, I can't get anything done. And that's where sort of counselors come in to say like, folks, it's a global pandemic. Like you don't have to feel like you have to do it all right now. In fact, cut yourself a break. Like, uh, And people need to hear that. Like it's one thing, uh, like it's one thing to sort of hear it, even from a counselor, it's one thing to hear it and another to fully embody it. But I do think that counselors sometimes have that special role of like, um, sometimes because we don't say a lot, we don't give a lot of actual advice. It's a lot of holding space and helping the client. But sometimes when we do make statements like that, where like you need to cut yourself a break, it's a global pandemic, they'll sometimes hear it more fully. But yeah, people are really struggling with that. Yeah, it's not, it's not an easy time. And also I'm looking at, like into the future, I'm thinking, wow, I feel like I'm going to be able to handle a lot if I started my counseling training in the middle of a pandemic. Like I think no matter what's thrown at me in the future, I should be able to handle it. You started on the hardest difficulty. I, I think so. I, at least I <laughs> hope that's true. Right, yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah. So what, what has it been like for you, especially because I know uh, we originally connected because I was reaching out to do an interview for school and I asked him if I could interview a podcaster and you came up as one of the first ones that was local. So I thought this would be really interesting. Uh, So I think that's kind of funny how we met originally and here we are now a couple months later and doing an interview with each other. Yeah. Full circle moment. That's fun. Yeah. So I know you had, I guess like your first season of the podcast and then you took a bit of a hiatus. Was that like due to COVID or? Yeah. So in the hiatus was actually like a full, year ago like my the last episode of season one was july of last year um and it's also because i did you know 24 or 25 episodes and it was like i lost a bit of the spark that i was doing it for was sort of like another one another one which was great to pump it out but it was like this is also a hobby for fun so i need to like make sure i'm really enjoying it i found that i was struggling to find people to interview not because the people didn't exist but because my drive to go out and find them also sort of dwindled so i thought okay, I'm going to give myself a bit of a break here. I don't have to do this. It's totally up to me with how long I do it for. And I wasn't sure if there's going to be a season two, but I ended up really missing it and, uh, and coming back. But I'm glad you brought up like the hiatus period, that one year period, because I did feel like 
even though I was really proud of all the work that I did, it was a bit of like, what are people going to think? Are they going to think that like I didn't finish what I started? Am I like, did I, did I fail myself? Like, am I allowed to just stop? Like people are going to think that, um, I don't know. It's just like, I, I can't even give you specifics of like what people are going to think, but I was so worried about like how it was going to be perceived. And a lot of the work I had to do was like, no, like you get to decide for yourself and like, you know why you stopped and that's okay. And that's enough. And you don't have to justify yourself to everybody else. And it was sort of, you know, what's going on for me. I it seems like, you know, I'm really looking for other people sort of like approval and validation. Well, why is that? And sort of doing some of that work for me as well in that one year timeout period sort of learned a lot and also reoriented what season two is going to be about as well. So you're coming into doing season two now off the hiatus with like a different theme in mind? Yeah, yeah. I'll, so far, I mean, as as you two are as well, you're very open to things changing as you go along. It's such an important part of like any sort of creativity at all. Um, but the theme has been humanizing the world, humanizing my guests, uh, specifically making sure we're not putting people up on pedestals because, I mean, everybody's human and yes, people are inspiring. Um, but when we put people up on pedestals, we're othering them and we feel disconnected from them. Uh, another example of that is like when you really wish you were doing something that someone else is doing and you're like get jealous. Well, you don't have to be jealous. You can be inspired. Like it's, it's a little just mental shift you can make of like, Oh, I don't have to be intimidated by this person. I can just be inspired by them and take the parts that I really like and try to integrate it into my life sort of thing. So humanizing it in that sense, just to get more control over your life. And then the other part of humanizing is like pushing someone down, stepping on someone is also a way of like othering them, like, you know, or like cancel culture and someone makes a mistake and now, now they're, now they're a bad person and just like, you know, canceling them. Like, well, like they're human too. And that, that's true. And I know for a fact, if we really got into it, all of us could see parts of ourselves in that person. But humanizing it to be like, be careful here how much we other people because yeah. uh, it's only a matter of time before one of us makes a mistake and or, you know, anything like that where we want to be given the time to explain ourselves and to be human. Yeah, we're at the end of the day, we're not all perfect. We're going to mess up. We experience all different emotions and like we're going to have outbursts and whatever else. But yeah, and it, it, all, it mm -hmm. makes me think of in the book, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Yeah. He basically makes this statement about how like the approach is the same. It's just looked at differently where there's one people, one group of people that'll say, well, I'm better than them. So I deserve special treatment. But then there's other people that are like, well, they're better than me. So I deserve like special treatment. Yeah. So it's like it goes both ways, but it's these you're saying the same thing. Totally. Right. Yeah. And that that's a if I can, that, that's a tough one as well for um so not to talk about like the suffering Olympics of like my suffering mm. is more intense than yours. And it's some sort of like competition all of a sudden mm -hmm. when like every, everybody can have their struggle. And it's something I've always really struggled with. And I was really into the world of spoken word poetry for a while. And I went to this Canadian festival and some really powerful work came out of the festival, really beautiful, like creative people. But I found that after seven days of this festival, it was almost became a bit of like the suffering Olympics of like who can share a story of like who had the hardest hardship sort of thing. And because they've had it the most difficult, they should be treated with the most attention and respect and all that, which might be true. However, we can't invalidate other people's struggle in, in the process, right? Um, 
Yeah, I got a lot to say about that, but I, yeah. I, I do struggle with it a lot, and especially from a counseling perspective of, of people thinking that their problems don't really matter. That's one end of it. Or the other end of it is like, only my problems matter. And there's such a middle ground. Yeah, when I when you talk about that sort of like suffering Olympics or competition, I'm reminded of like in the queer community where it's like, I came out first. Mm. Oh, yeah, you figured it out first. Good for you. Sweet. Yeah. You get a prize. Yeah. It, like, it doesn't really matter. Everybody, like, I think there's an important understanding that everybody's journey is different and takes a different level of time to evolve. Totally. Totally. And along the same lines, the idea of, like, fairness, obviously, it's important. It's something we're always striving for. But every single person that I have met in my life feels like life is not fair. Mm. And yes, there are absolutely people in the world in terms of like, uh, so for example, like people of color, black folks, trans folks, like the numbers are there, the research is there. These people have more hardships more often than not than let's say white folks. Sure, like we know that. Um, and it's important to know that and be making sort of steps towards towards progress. But what's really unfortunate is that there's some people who are unable to see their struggle as valid without feeling like their own struggle is also invalidated. Like everyone feels like the world is unfair. So I'm, that's my, my question is always like, how do we get through to people to make them not feel like they're being invalidated? Or like, oh, like life's fair to you, but it's not fair to this person. They're like, no, like life hasn't been fair to me. Sure. Sure, but like two truths can exist at the same time. And I'm always so confused with like how to navigate that. I think that's a big one to tackle too. <laughs> and I think it, it's just, things can be unfair in different ways, right? Like, because like we mentioned before, the perception you have of the world is different from the perception of someone else has. Like, unless you are a person who has black skin, you don't experience firsthand what they might experience. So in terms of them say, saying the world is unfair, it's like they may be treated differently, whereas being white, you may not be treated as differently, right? But then you might have your own struggle where like being gay and coming out has its own, you know, red flags that come up and other problems yeah. that ensue. So totally like, sure, there's the world is unfair to everyone, just in different ways and different extremes. Mm -hmm. But you can't really measure like, well, because their struggle is harder than mine, mine doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like it still matters. It's just like maybe the focus needs to be on the bigger struggle and then you can work on the yeah. not so big ones. I think, yeah, I think that's bang on. I totally agree. And again, it's, it's that humanizing, right? Can we instead not be in competition with each other and support each other in many different ways? Cause it's gonna look different with what support looks like. But Definitely. Can we, can we do that for each other, right? Like can we take two steps back instead of one step back and really Think about how to support each other in the process. Yeah, it was. Um, there was a post that someone said about you know it's like we're dealing with the house that's on fire. Yours isn't on fire right now. Mm -hmm. You know, like I may analogy. I may have a problem, but yours needs more attention. So let's work on that now, and then I can come back and be like, okay, I'm still struggling with something. Now I can work on that. It's such a good analogy. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of um, on your podcast now being about humanizing and trying to like connect those bridges. Mm -hmm. What do you find is like a good way to build those connections when you have somebody in front of you? What comes to mind right away is it's really tough for people to have empathy for someone else when 
you're really hard on yourself or when you haven't done any of your own personal work towards mental health and becoming the best version of yourself. Um, so like in terms of like trying to foster that conversation around humanizing each other, sometimes you do have to surrender a bit of your expectations um, because not everyone is at the same sort of level of personal introspection and that sort of thing. Um, but a good way to do it is just through sharing your story, your human story, because at the end of the day, there's parts of every sort of human being where they can relate to it. I know the context might always be different, but there's pieces there that we can always uh, pick up and relate to. And it's a part of what you guys do on this show is just like hearing people share a bit of their story because once they hear it, they can see parts of themselves in it for sure. Like I would say 90, you know, 95% of the time that's, that's true. Yeah, hold a, holding space for those stories for sure. So I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious when we talk about everybody's story being relatable, if we can dive into your personal story a little bit. I'm a very closed person, but we'll see. Okay. Well, let's see what <laughs> that was happens. very open of you to admit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think that was we all a have a joke for anyone that doesn't know. Me. <laughs> I think we all have moments of being closed, regardless of like how much we've worked to open yeah, up. But good point. Yeah. Um, in your, on your podcast, when I was listening in preparation, like for this episode, because we hadn't met before, you talked about your coming out experience being one of the most terrifying experiences of your life. And I'm curious in terms of not necessarily that experience specifically, but when it comes to things that you're really afraid of or terrifying experiences or needing to be vulnerable, how you navigate those. Mm. Wow. It's a big one. It's a big one. Context specific for sure. You know, where am I and who am I talking to? That's going to decide how I, how I treat myself in the moment in the story I tell myself. Um, to start off really sort of basic is we all need to remember the power of basic breath work. Like just a simple taking like three deep breaths when you're feeling really uncomfortable. Um, that changes everything because it calms your central nervous system. Uh, you drop back into your body instead of being so in your head about things. Um, so that's always one of my go-tos. Um, so is your question more around like, how do I, cause I can sort of run with this in a lot of directions, but like, how do I tackle moments where I'm feeling fucking terrified? Yeah. Like when, <laughs> like, yeah. How yeah. do you break through? Or maybe even if you want to talk yeah. as a counselor, what kind of advice you would give. But when you're having those moments in your life, and I think I brought that up because I heard you mention it on your podcast that it was a terrifying moment. And I remember in my life it being quite a terrifying moment. Mm -hmm. And one of the learning curves along the way was the person who cared more than anybody was myself. Mm -hmm. um, but when we come to those moments where we feel almost paralyzed. Totally. What would you say about moving yeah. through that or how you've moved through that in in the situation that maybe somebody might be able to relate to your mm -hmm. story or use that tactic for themselves. Yeah, totally. Uh, first and foremost, something that changed early on was I realized that I am first and foremost in a relationship with myself mm. and I'm constantly coming back to what sort of person do you want to be? And like Mary Oliver's sort of famous poem in the final line is like, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? And it's such a beautiful piece. And I remember that like hit me in the gut so hard. And Brene Brown's work, same thing, like what kind of life do you want to live? Because you're going to have to get uncomfortable and vulnerable if you want to become the best version of yourself sort of thing. So 
what guides a lot of my intentions when I'm diving into terrifying situations or anything uncomfortable or fearful is sure this sucks, but what's going to suck even more is if I don't do it, then I'm not working towards the person that I want to become. And the idea is like, you know what? You kind of have to just say fuck it sometimes. And a lot of that comes from building that healthy relationship with yourself that the biggest fear we have is that, you know, we're not going to belong or that people are not going to accept us as social beings. Like we know this, that is our biggest fear. So if you can continue to always work on that and be aware of that and keep that in mind when you're building a relationship with yourself, the question can become, am I going to choose to belong to myself today? Am I able to stand alone when I need to, because I've done enough work on myself that I'm able to not rely completely on other people to feel okay and to feel happy and to feel connected. Like I've done enough work within myself. So in terms of diving into the yeah uncomfortable situations and, and fearful things and coming out specifically was, yeah, you know what? I might, I might lose some people in my life in terms of coming from a small town. Do those people mat- matter to me at the end of the day? Is it really important that I'm pleasing them or is this now about me and me living my truth? And that takes a long time to grapple with. I mean, as as you know, Jenny, mm-hmm. like it, it, that that work is some of the hardest is having to choose yourself at the end of the day, especially as a queer person where you just want to be accepted and an easy way of being accepted is just fitting in and just, you know, putting on face and whatever. But you kind of have to, it's almost counterintuitive at first. So to dive a little bit deeper into that, mm-hmm. what is one of the situations you were most afraid of or like expecting an outcome from where you were actually surprised on the other side? Mm-hmm. So I'm one of the lucky ones where I always knew that like I was going to be accepted by my parents. That was never an issue. It was just the idea of like, you know, they haven't met anybody that's gay and that's a big deal for them. Like it's such an, it's such an other thing for them. So to have to be that person was like, oh, you know, are they going to be uncomfortable? And like some of my like, you know, high school friends, let's say, as I look back, like I wasn't in high school at the time, but in terms of those who I grew up with, um, big fear was like, am I going to make them uncomfortable? And is that going to be an issue? Um, (laughs) It's so hard. But I also sort of knew that like, it was going to be fine. It's just like life's life's uncomfortable. Like I, I kept, and I continue to try to like stay in this comfort zone sometimes, which is good because we all need it. But it's like the reality is like all the things that are worth anything in life, you have to get uncomfortable and it's sort of like knowing that. And it's just unfortunate that for some people, the discomfort looks like, how is this going to impact my like family relationships and my good friends? Like that's the uncomfort is like, if I, you know, feel like I'm changing a big part of myself here, like, you know, outing a part of myself, is it really going to change my friendships, my relationships? Like that's, that's the tough part. Um, It's a bit of a rant. What was the question going into this? I was asking if there was a situation you went into feeling really afraid, possibly maybe expecting a negative outcome, and when you were surprised with an opposite response (laughs) to like your your fear mechanism almost. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the reason I talked to my parents at first was just that because I remember coming out, and of course it was a little bit tough at first, but it's like, wow, this turned out well. (laughs) uh, Last year, my you know. Mom and one of her friends came to their first drag show. My parents came to the gay bar that I worked at for a drink, you know, a couple of times and just 
they're so engaged in my life in general and, um, you know, and my partner and my parents come to visit me and my partner all the time and vice versa. And I just feel like I'm living such a normal life. You know, I have brothers that are straight and just feel like it's all the same. So now when I look back, it's like, what the hell were you so worried about? Like, this is so <laughs> fine. Um, so that was the nice surprise. And also on a sort of bigger scale was like, I always felt like it was going to be a thing being gay. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be like, everyone's going to look at me just as the gay guy. Mm-hmm. I was so like, God, am I ready to take that on? But it's only because I looked at other people like that before I came out. It's like, oh, that's the gay guy. It was like, that's what I, that was sort of my, how I put that person in a box sort of thing. So I was nervous that that was going to be me. So I ended up putting myself in a box for so long. And then I came out, but the, the, the burden, which became the blessing was like, now it's such a moment and a thing of pride for me. Like I love being a part of the queer community. I feel such an intense sense of like belonging and, and sort of purpose. And I feel like I do influence a lot of spaces that I am in just because of who I am as a person. And like when you're queer, you're forced to like learn how to love yourself really early on where some people aren't forced into that work because they don't have a coming out opportunity. So I feel like early on I was forced to do a lot of my own personal digging and a lot of my own focus on like mental health and becoming the best version of myself and deciding who do I want to be as a person. So I feel like I've done so much. So I'm 25. I just feel like I've done so much of that work where now I feel like I have a lot of sort of clarity as I go into the rest of my life where I see a lot of other people really, really struggling with that and grappling with like what their purpose is and really struggling just with who they are as a person. So the blessing is I feel like me coming out was actually like a huge, again, we live in a very, I have a lot of privilege in terms of living in Canada, living Mm -hmm. in Ottawa, having the friends that I have growing up the way I grew up. Like I'm very uh, cognizant of that. But I feel like it's been a huge blessing in terms of it's forced me to do a lot of work. And now just you know, the love I'm able, I'm able to practice for myself and others is so much deeper and so much more full. And the connections I make with other people are so much more genuine and so much more powerful because I'm operating from a place of who I truly want to be rather than putting on face and just trying to fit in and give this person what I think they want from me. And that's all we're really searching for, right, is that genuine sense of connection. I love that as you talk about this for people who can't see you right now, whenever you talk about connecting with yourself, you connect with your gut and like with your (laughs) chest. And I feel that way too, that like a lot of who I am is in that like center part of our bodies. And obviously like from a biological perspective, that's true too. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but like resonate and connect with being uncomfortable and how important that is towards like growth and acceptance, whether that's in your relationship with other people or your relationship with yourself. Like even when you're talking to a significant other or a friend about something that you're upset or you hurt your feelings, it's like we don't we have this innate thing where we don't want to rock the boat. Um, and we don't want the seas to get rough, but it's through those moments that you come to these new levels. Like, especially when I think about intimate relationship or like the first time you have a fight with somebody you're newly dating and it's like, oh, I don't really want to talk about how this upset me because like now maybe we're going to have a fight or like maybe this isn't what I thought and we're going to break yeah. up. But then like regulating and regulating. And yeah. Regulating but if you so. keep dumbing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down, you're not really getting the most out of the experience you can have. Mm-hmm. And it's just like sometimes you have these conversations and you're like, oh, my God, I don't know how this is going to go. Maybe it's really <laughs> bad. I'm probably going to cry. Like. Totally. 
but then you have it and it works out and it allows you to conquer those situations more regularly and with more ease. And Mm -hmm. it just develops your understanding of other people and yourself. And if you're not willing to get uncomfortable, I just feel like you're not really getting the full benefit of your like totally one life. And I think, yeah, I love that. I think as queer people that we add layers we add layers to that in terms of wanting to belong and as a default society telling us that we don't. So therefore you're hustling for that sense of belonging where some people might not be hustling as hard. Backstory is everybody feels like they're I hustling was gonna for say. belonging and that's not just a queer thing. However, it's a bit more uh, more blunt almost when you're queer or sort of a minority or anything like that. And what came to mind when you're saying this is Chantel on your show maybe a couple of weeks ago, I forget what it was. She was saying how she always had to make sure that as a black woman, she was not the angry black woman. And Mm. she had to regulate herself Mm. so much. And she's learned to really sort of try to let that go, though that still plays a role in her life. And so she's very conscious of, she recognizes like, oh, this is learned behavior. Like this is, and you know, it's awful that she has to do this. And in terms of the labels we put on people, now what she feels like she has to do just to fit in and be accepted and I think for me, and I'm curious for even for what you two, what it is, but you know, for me, it was always like, make sure that you don't do anything where someone would have a reason to not like you. Mm. So what's underneath that is like, well, it's because there's a reason, there's a valid reason for me that I don't belong already. And that is that I'm gay in a straight world. So I better hustle to make sure that I put on face and everyone likes me because that's what has to happen or else as a default, I don't belong here. So like, whoa, like having to recognize how how run that or how deep that narrative runs for me and like doing a lot of work around like, Mm-mm. I have the word worthy tattooed on, mm-hmm. on my arm because that was often what's at the bottom of the well for me when I'm struggling is like, whenever there's conflict or if I'm feeling down, it's like when you dive into it, it's just, we're hustling for that sense of worthiness so much. So I've learned to just sort of skip the bullshit. I'm worthy with who I am as a person regardless of anything else. I'm worthy of love and belonging. That's true. I don't need to hustle for it. Um, it can be if it, like it can be okay to hustle for your dream, you know what I mean? Do the hard work, sure, but recognize what your intentions are underneath a lot of it, right? And I'm glad that you uh, normalized it a little bit and took it like back out of just like being queer and the journey mm-hmm. around being queer because I can't help but Ryan like think of your journey too mm-hmm. in terms of like I think we're all on this journey of self-acceptance and belonging and worthiness like you talk about. And there are innate difficulties that come along with being a minority or like having come from a back, like a community that's experienced oppression. But Mm -hmm. I even think of like what you've talked about before, Ryan, in terms of like your journey towards getting in touch with yourself and personal acceptance and people pleasing. And it's, it's a human thing, you know, and we all go through it to differing levels for lack of like better articulation yeah. at this time yeah ryan like i'm curious like ryan what's your journey been with that you feel like you feel like you're in the thick of it still yeah i i'm at the point now where it's just all come to the surface mm-hmm. and i start to realize how much i just feel like i get a message from someone i have to answer back right away somebody asks me a favor i have to say yes or else i'm a bad friend or they're gonna you know, <laughs> leave because they're like, well, you're not willing to help me out. You know, like that, those things come up yeah. and I'm not sure exactly. These catastrophizing why narratives. That, yeah. I don't even know like why it yeah. started. I just feel like I owe so much and I rarely ask for help. It's like, I'm here to help you, but like I let myself drown if I need help. So mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and part of this struggle, like with feeling uncomfortable, is realizing like how much my ego is trying to tell me like you need to people please, <laughs> yeah. and I'm trying to stop myself totally. from people pleasing. And that that might even be something small, like I disagree with what someone said, and not that I'm gonna you know act in anger and be like you're completely wrong, but just being like I disagree and here's why, you know, like mm-hmm. even I just I used to just not like I I would say I accept it. But it, I didn't full. I'm just like, okay, cool. We'll do it that way. But then the whole time I'm doing it, I'm just like disgruntled because I'm like, I don't want it to be this way, but I've now I'm here, you know? Yeah. So it's so interesting because I think it was when I was uh, listening to the, the radical acceptance book, I, and I'm, I'm a big gamer. So I love the visuals of, she was, she was basically saying like, unless you slay the dragon, you're not going to get the treasure on the other side. Like you have to go through the hardship <laughs> to come out the other end and like, maybe it's a good outcome. Maybe you do lose someone in your life, but did that person really like connect with who you are or like accept you for who you are? Mm. So it's it's not that your intention is to cause controversy or to like cause a rift or get rid of anybody, but maybe they just don't like who you fully are anymore or they're like, mm. you've changed so much, you know? So totally. it's- can you Yeah, can we accept that? Like, yeah. Is that okay? So the hardest thing is just accepting yourself. And like, if you are having an altercation with somebody or they're just like, if you come out and your parents, you know, what if the coin was flipped and your parents didn't like mm-hmm. that, you know, like that's hard to deal with. But then it, at that point, you know, like family doesn't end in blood. You can find another family, other people that accept you. So as soon as you are vulnerable and put yourself out there and say like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm all about. These are my intentions. Mm-hmm. Even if the people currently in your life aren't in with that, you will find people that will connect with you. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even with my own family, I still have a chosen family as well of mm-hmm. other people that's, that see me maybe more fully or in a different way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jenny, your eyes got really big. When we talked about catastrophizing. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Yeah. I think there's uh, something to be said about at least for me personally, how my mind can run away with something. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned when we did your episode that I, work really hard not to be as much of a planner now because a lot of my anxiety comes from starting something and not knowing how it's going to work out. And I think that we can tend to catastrophize things and think that everything's going to be terrible or like, I think one of the things I learned along the way is that, like I said in the beginning, usually the person who cares more than anybody else is myself. Mm -hmm. And One of the things I want to touch on that Ryan was just talking about in terms of changing and developing as a person is one of the things that my mom told me a long time ago was usually it's hardest for the people who are closest to you when you start to change and develop. Mm -hmm. And just looking to see how people either look to grow with you or to judge you and put you in a box really changes for me who I invite into my front row or who who I continue to surround my life with. And I find as I come more and more into myself and then I look around at the people who are around me, I realize that now I'm seeing clearer mirror images back of the people who surround me. And it's regardless of age or gender or demographic. Like I see now that the people I spend my time with for the most part are reflections back of who I am as well. Yeah. Earlier you said that you're the average of the the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. I love that. It makes me think. And it gets me thinking, okay, if I'm the average, Mm -hmm. 
and I'm right in the middle. Who are the two people above me? Mm. And who are the two people who are like, for lack of a better word, coming along sure. for the ride? But yeah, it was a long time ago that I heard about who who are you going to invite to sit in your front row? And I was taking, um, I guess you would call it like a business development workshop for, for actors and for performers with a woman named Barbara Deutsch who runs very famous programs in like LA and stuff like that. And that was her thing. Like, who are you going to let sit in the front row of your life? Like, are these people cheering for you? Are they putting you down? Are they building you up? Um, are they, are they working to grow with you? Yeah. There's the choices we have to make. Like no one else is going to, no one, like you are the only one has to decide. I think Mm -hmm. to decide who's going to be in your life. And it's a lot of responsibility because you change and other people sometimes don't change with you. And then what, right? Like sometimes you have to call it quits and that sucks, but like life's not fair. Like, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) We're back to that. Yeah. Yeah. They say, what is it? They say it's like, a reason, a season, a lifetime. Mm. And not everybody's meant to fill like that lifetime role in your life or not everybody's, yeah. They say like, that's what they say. A reason, a season, a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, I I think about sort of my story and I could tell you people that have been there for a reason, people who are there just for a season and someone who I'm gonna, yeah, be with for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. What a cool thing. I I like, it almost gives it one of those like, uh, it's a lot of meaning to it, right? A sort of like, it's okay that people come into your life for a little bit and then leave. That, that's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean they're you're less connected with them. Stop judging it. It just it is what it is. And I think that's one of the hardest things is not to judge yourself. Like one of the big things I find that, Ryan, that you're good at is you're really good at helping me let myself off the hook <laughs> and like pushing me to have experience like – I'm very hard on myself and I have really high expectations and I'm a person who carries a lot of guilt. Oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Oh, I should have been doing this instead. Oh, what about this? And just that ability to take yourself off the hook, but also when you're in disagreement or arguments with other people, not realizing when you're keeping other people on the hook, you're just holding yourself back too. If you're not able to practice forgiveness and understanding, do you need to hold that grudge? And is holding that grudge really, like, if you look at it from a purely selfish perspective, holding that grudge, keeping that person on the hook for what they did for that, not that I don't think people should pay for their actions or whatever, that's a whole yeah. different thing. Accountability is another discussion. Yeah. yeah, but keeping that person there, holding on to that anger, that resentment, that whatever, is that really benefiting you at the end of the day? I don't know that it is. That's such a huge, What's the- huge one. I'm trying to remember how it was worded, but something about like you're drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not, like not forgiving someone. They, is, they've yeah. like moved to Vancouver and changed their life and, you know, everything's different. But you're still here like that person wronged me five years ago. Mm-hmm. I can't let it go. But mm-hmm. it's only affecting you. Mm-hmm. You have to let it go for yourself. Yeah. It's a huge shift that takes a long time for some people to make. And and, in the counseling world, that's a big part is like self-forgiveness and forgiveness of others. And people assume that forgiving someone means that whatever they did was okay. No, absolutely not. That's bullshit. What they did was absolutely unacceptable. However, can you humanize them? Can you recognize that they made a mistake? And you don't have to be friends with them anymore. Mm-hmm. But can you do yourself a favor and forgive them and let it go? Because the more you linger on it, the more you're just, yeah, drinking drinking the poison they gave you. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm in a little bit of a thing here when we talk about that because I agree. And then there are certain situations where it's like, I don't even know if I could conceptualize forgiveness mm. as even the term when you talk about situations yeah. that are like really extreme, like murder and rape and sexual assault or like child abuse. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. I letting go of something and actual forgiveness, I think often get put together as the same thing, but I think that they're different. Mm. Like cool. I don't, I, I can't really articulate it, but they feel like different things for me. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think I could ever say, like, maybe it does come down to what you said about accountability. Like, mm -hmm. you should definitely pay for that. Mm -hmm. Personal belief, of course. Okay. But, but um, many people would agree with the examples. Of course, accountability. But you is a have huge to be accountable to yourself in processing that and not letting it, like, hold on to your entire life. Mm -hmm. You but know, that I'm coming at that with a little bit of ignorance and privilege as well because I've never been a victim or a survivor, for lack of a better term. Well, obviously, if there's something in the realm of, you know, you were sexually assaulted, like, obviously, you know, go to court over it, make a case, get it, like, justice to serve, mm -hmm. will be served, right? But then after that is over, like, the experience is done and settled and put away, mm -hmm. at that point, like, are you able to let it go? Yeah. You know, like do the diligence you need to and then, okay, now it's done, right? Mm -hmm. But again, I'm saying that from a place where I've never been in an experience like that. And I know it'd be like really difficult yeah. if, if I was. So yeah, I think it's safe to say none of us would look at a survivor and say like, mm, I think it's time to forgive. Like we're never going to do that. It's their never. own journey and their own yeah. time. Of course, of course. But uh, similar to how like we are the average of, you know, the five people we spend time with. Um, as human beings, we are, at least so far in our lives, the collection and the result of all the experiences that we've had. And if that's true, then what do we do with the atrocious experiences we've had? Mm. And that's a lot of what people come to counseling for as well. It's like, you know, I've had this experience and it is affecting me and it is a big part of my story and I don't want to feel so awful about it. I don't want to have so much power over me. So the question is, okay, it obviously is full of power and energy, this experience. But just because it's an awful experience that's full of a lot of power for you right now as you look back, can we put that energy and that power somewhere else? The energy is driven from the experience and is derived from the experience. But right now, the energy is putting into anxiety, self-loathing, depression, shutting the world out, uh, not being able to maintain a lot of good relationships. This is where it's manifesting right now. And they recognize that. So the question is, how can we shift where the energy is going? And a part of that narrative maybe is a bit of forgiveness and sort of letting go and recognizing that. Hopefully there's some accountability here, but I can't continue to give power to this part of my life anymore. I have to put this ball of energy somewhere else. And it's not easy and it, and it takes work and I, you know, it's nice to try to make it sound simple and, you know, just do a bit of work and get over it. I think a lot of things are lifelong pieces of, of work to, to go through. Yeah, I think that's one of the big things I took away from counseling or therapy and is that you don't get answers when you go in, you get processed and you get understanding. And my therapist has, has often said to me, he's like, Jenny, if there was a magic red button, boom, I'd love to hit it and it would all be fixed, but it's not. And it's a frustrating and infuriating process sometimes mm -hmm. to dive into yourself or to understand and to let go. 
And I just want to say that because for anybody who's listening, therapy is exceptionally, like, I think it's very beneficial. But I think you need to know, like, you're doing the work. And, like, the answer, there's no easy answers in this life to anything that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people definitely... I mean, I could talk about counseling all day long. It's mm. it's something that is so, you know, in, in my gut, it's something I hopefully, you know, will do for the rest of my life. I, I get so much from it. But people think they're, they're going to show up and they're going to get advice. They're going to get tools on how to fix their problems. They're going to use the tool and it's going to be all good. Like, sorry, like it's not, it's going to take a lot of time. And even if something does uh, strike a chord with them, doesn't mean it's going to be fixed. It just means they're going to see something a different way. But then it takes time to heal. So it's not going to happen right away. Like, yes, this sounds like truth for someone in terms of a, a piece of insight. But it's still going to take months and years before it's fully integrated and you feel like a changed person. So yet again, we're caught in that in-between space. And it's what are you going to do with that in-between space? Where, like, where are you going to put your energy for the meantime? Like, we make choices every day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a journey in and of itself, right? Because it, when you think of going on a, a journey, it's like your entire life is a journey, right? And you may have good things that you're going with, like starting a new job or, you know, opening your, your company. But when you're dealing with hard experiences like that, I think part of the problem is resisting it and thinking like, I don't want to deal with this. Mm-hmm. But the only way you're going to be able to at least move past and get into like a better version of your life is to face it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons we, we do this is like, not to try to put people on the spot or that we're going to become like a therapy podcast, but just allowing people to share those stories or talk about the topics that they don't usually get into. It's like, you know, I deal with my anxiety every day, but I never really started to bring it to the forefront or talk about it or express it. So I just, it was just all there and it was just constantly bothering me Mm -hmm. in every ounce of my life. But now that I've addressed it, Mm -hmm. things, you know, clear up a little bit more. Yeah. It has less of a grip over you is my guess. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's funny because, you know, we're not saying that just because you voice something, it's all going to get better because like sometimes it's not. Mm -hmm. However, not voicing it and keeping it in is for sure not going to work and is for sure going to make things worse. So what's what's the choice you're going to make, right? Yeah. So <laughs> the last thing I wanted to kind of touch on is I thought it's really interesting how, so you bartended, mm-hmm. uh, you are teaching yoga and you have your therapy that you're doing and you also have a podcast. So there you have a lot of things that are you, that you're all working all on. of the hats. <laughs> yes. Do you have the Mario one too that helps you fly? <laughs> oh, He's no. called Cappy. Cappy. <laughs> so no, you, you mentioned about how you can connect all of these worlds together. Mm. So I'm really interested in what that looks like. Mm, the common thread. Fun. Um, people becoming the best version of themselves is what I absolutely am devoting my life to. And I will say it's a product of early on deciding that I'm going to commit to becoming the best version of myself. And that's my ongoing work. And I feel like, as you would likely agree, we operate from the inside out as human beings. And I feel like what keeps me so engaged in a lot of my work is that I'm constantly trying to grow and become better. And I'm constantly like having to humanize myself. And I think I have things all figured out. 
and then life happens and then I'm confronted with, you know, past issues that I thought were dealt with, but they're not, or, you know, a million different things where I feel like I have it all figured out and then I realize that I don't. So I think my ability to make space for that for myself and to navigate that uncomfortable, vulnerable, messy space that is sort of, you know, my life and is all of our lives. It's that that gives me insight into other people's grappling and then becoming the best version of, of themselves and how they deal with, you know, resistance. So the more you understand yourself, the better you can understand other people and connect. 100%. Yeah, 100%. I think, I think all people would probably agree with that. Like that's such a, just sounds like such a true thing. I think we feel that so intuitively. Um, and yoga is the one of the more interesting parts of my life for sure in terms of there's not a lot of talking that happens. And when I talk about yoga, I talk for me, it's a lot of just uh, men like meditation and then physical movement, like the asanas, the, the physical part of the practice. Um, there's not a lot of talking that, that goes on, right? It's a lot of just stillness and, and breath work. And what people forget is that becoming the best version of yourself and taking care of yourself is not just an adding experience of taking on more and more content and more and more relationships. I would say that's half, or I would even say that's 30%. You know, the other 70 is letting go. And the ways we let go, at least for me, is on the mat, is in meditation, is in moments of stillness, it is in breath work, is in setting intentions and everything that comes with the practice of, of yoga. It's also something I can talk, I can talk a lot about. <laughs> I do love that whole world. Yeah. Awesome. I feel like normally when we start coming to the end, we would ask if there's um, an insight or anything you can leave with someone. But I just love what you just said about stillness and breath work and meditation. And there's such a huge facet of such a busy world in terms of getting in touch with yourself. Um, yeah. And the question is like, how, how can you integrate all the different parts of yourself, right? The integration happens one within the context of relationships. Great. But it also happens with stillness and with taking time for yourself that is out of your head and into your body. That's where all of the integration really happens. I think it takes a lot of work too, because we feel like we need to respond right away or have the right answer right away. And now taking those moments, like right now I'm reading a book called, um, I think it's called stillness is the way or something like that, or stillness is the key or something by Ryan holiday. And he references all of these experiences that people have had where they've just taken that moment and how that's had such a big impact to just be quiet and check in mm -hmm. with people like JFK and the Cuban Missile Crisis or like even regular people like us. Like it's okay to take a moment if you don't know what to do next and to check in and feel your way. Um, so maybe what we can do is we can end on a like a Brene Brown point. And if mm -hmm. we're talking about vulnerability and getting more in touch with being uncomfortable mm -hmm. and opening up yourself, what is one thing you would leave people with on their quest to be more vulnerable and open humans? Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take a breath first. <laughs> In terms of the journey towards becoming your best self, there's obviously vulnerability involved in that, of course. The piece I would probably leave everyone with is when you are feeling deep 
resistance to something, there is something to be learned in that. Always resistance towards something in yourself, resistance towards another person, resistance to a comment, anything that you see and you hear. There's something inside going on for you that if you dive in and do some of your own work, there's going to be a, a lesson there. And it's going to be uncomfortable doing that work. But I promise there is something in that resistance for you to continue growing and becoming the best version of yourself. Damn. I like it. I'm glad. <laughs> and I like the little dance that just went along with that. I have to change up. the After something so serious, I have yeah. to shake it off. I have to shake it off. It's hard to just sit <laughs> in it sometimes. Taylor Swift, shake it off. <laughs> I'm just going to leave you guys with that. Yeah. And that's all I got. Let's just do a little boogie. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. What a what a joy. What a weird thing to be on this end. But yeah, I, I underestimated how difficult it is to remember the question that mm. that I was asked. Because you, you go on a tangent and people ask me all the time, like, wait, what were we talking about? And I'm like, because in my head, all I'm thinking about is the question. But for them, they're so lost in their story. So a good a good humanizing moment for me as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ryan, do you have anything to add in as we come to a close? Yeah, just it's great to have you on and I'm so glad we were able to do this and get into a studio and have a bit of a different experience. And, yeah. um, and if, yeah. if I can say, um, I just want to say, like, keep up the good work in terms of having these uncomfortable conversations, having deep conversations about things that need to be talked about. Um, thank you so much for having that be so much of your intention. Like we need more spaces and people like this. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the world. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on and having uh, the vulnerability with us and sharing some of your experiences. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thanks folks. Well, here is the end. So where you uh, can find us, actually, no, we should ask Jeff first. Where can people find you? Yeah. Jeff, Fun. talk about you. How yeah. rude of me. Yeah. God, right. <laughs> I, I also forgot. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Jeff in color. The joke is it's all black and white. But then the second photo is a color. Yo. What's going on? Right. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, at Jeff in color. Uh, you can go to leadingandbeing.org if you want to find the podcast. And I am not fully certified as a psychotherapist yet. I'm still in school and seeing clients as an intern, but eventually I will be seeing some clients. And I'm hoping you can just Google me and my website will be easy enough to find. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah. If you can't find Jeff, you can find him through us. Yeah. We are have a little insight, as you know. We are on Instagram at Hallie Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Have a Little Insight. And uh yeah, if you're looking for Jeff or you're looking for us, just shoot us an email. We are have a little insight at gmail.com. Thank you so much to everybody who's been listening and supporting us along this journey. Hopefully this helped you get a little bit more in touch with yourselves. Have a super fantastic week. And yeah, we'll catch you on the flip side. Get out there and be vulnerable.